Thank you so much, Terry. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to church. We're glad you're here at the Packing House. If you've been here before, if you're new, welcome. Uh, wherever you are coming from, wherever you're at with your walk with God and your journey, we believe God has something good for you this morning in his community, in his word. So we're excited about finding that out this morning with you. Um, we don't want you to miss communion. It's set out throughout the sanctuary. Don't miss that special time with the Lord. He gave his body and his blood and told us to remember that with the bread and the, the juice. So have that special time. Remember his body, that it's all a gift. Remember his blood, that it's all washed. When we receive him, he forgives and he cleanses us. So praise God for that. Stand with me if you're able, and we're gonna read Psalm 102, verses one and two. Psalm 102, hear my prayer, O Yahweh, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray to you. We thank you that you hear us. Prayer is your idea. Lord, you want relationship. Lord, you're seeking us, and you tell us when we seek you, we'll find you. When we search for you with all of our heart, let us do that this morning in worship, in our community, in our fellowship, in our Bible time, in our message this morning. We just give you this time. We invite you to be the center of it. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn around, say hello to somebody, and we'll get into a worship time.
Can you see it? Can you feel it? He's in this place. Hallelujah. We praise you, God. We acknowledge you in this room this morning. And we say yes to you, God. We say yes.
speak to our hearts so that you would open our hearts to receive your word this morning. Humble us, Lord, that we may be before your throne, Lord, receiving mercy and grace that is not deserved but is freely given, Lord. We thank you for this morning, Lord, that we can set aside this time to worship your name, to learn of your truth, God. And as we continue in this time of worship, as Richard shares his music, Lord, I pray that you would bless our hearts, Lord, and draw us close to you, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's welcome our friend, Richard Andrew.
But you were right there As close as my breath Only a whisper away As I lay falling But you were right there as close as my breath Only a whisper away As I lay falling And then you found me On the bottom The forgotten And then the angels came And surrounded all my problems crying holy and singing Jesus reigns and you found me on the bottom the forgotten and then the angels came and surrounded all my problems crying holy and singing
Good morning, Packing House. <laughs> it's good to be here with y'all. He's an all-consuming fire, let him burn. Let him bring his kingdom to the earth. Speak a word and let these dry bones come alive. Tell your sons and daughters Prophesy, prophesy. Let the captives be unchained till all are free. No more lies or hypocrisy. In his name and unafraid, I call to thee. Let heaven come down and let your spirit pour out. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. We are forgiven and free, and we will overcome. Somebody stand and testify. Lift up his name on high. We are forgiven and free, and we will overcome. We will overcome. Scattered here a thousand fears Sweep them away Tell me it's alright Tell me it's okay Unashamed and without blame I'll sing your song Compel the others to sing along. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. We are forgiven and free and we will overcome. Somebody needed to hear that today. Somebody stand and testify Lift up his name on high We are forgiven and free And we will overcome We will overcome yeah. Lord, yeah. 
Amen. Yes and amen. We're free. What a declaration. Thank you so much. Richard Andrew, everybody. <clears throat> he does a bunch of prison ministry and NASCAR stuff, so look him up and uh, follow up with Richard Andrew. Right now we have our announcements, our Sunday announcement video, so let's watch that. Warning. The following bit contains talk about married couples. We are not a married couple, nor looking to be a married couple. Because honestly, I heard marriage is hard. Can't believe we just got married. Yes, but where's, where's my ring? Uh, that, that's on Layla. Man, I always don't get my We're going to be the perfect married couple. We're never going to fight. We're going to be so Together great. Together forever. Should we check out the married couples Bible study? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want. Yeah, I think we should. Maybe we'll meet a married couple there because we don't have any married friends. Hope the food is uh, good. It's Tuesday nights at 6.30, so we're off at work by then. It'll be fine. Sure. You want to go? Uh, um, yeah, sure. Whatever, whatever you want. Whatever you want. 
Whatever you say. Were you even paying attention to anything I just said? Uh, of course, always. What day did I say the married couple's Bible study was? Uh, uh, you said Wednesday, Wednesday. What time did I say? <laughs> 8 a.m., 8 a.m., 8 a.m. I said Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. You don't listen to a word I say! But are, are, we, are we still gonna get ice cream? Please? I, I want a vanilla. Did you know Packing House Christian Academy started enrollment for ages junior K to 12th grade? If you would like to apply, come to the school office or apply online at packinghouseacademy.org. Hey, guess what? Packing House Fun Facts! Hey, did you know that this is where we used to hold all of our church services? And that this used to be a citrus packing house? Oh, that explains the truck in the lobby. Yeah, but now it's where Packing House Christian Academy takes place. They have chapel right there, there's classrooms and lockers. Like we were just talking about, open enrollment. All right, thank you announcement team. Great job, that's always fun. If we could have uh, junior high and high school, go meet their teacher if you want to in the lobby. And then parents, you can meet them back in the lobby after service. If the Lord's leading you guys to give, the giving boxes are in the back here in the lobby. And you guys can give online at thepackinghouse.org. Uh, we're going to go to prayer now, get, getting ready for the Bible study. And a big part of that is just getting any burden that's on your back off on the Lord. That's where he wants it. That's where it belongs. So get it off you and get it on the Lord. Just take a few moments doing that. And then Aliyah Gutierrez, if you come up and close, that'd be great. anybody struggling here, just let them remember that you are a way maker, a peacemaker, a prison shaker, and just all above. Lord, thank you for your mercy, your love, your good grace, and bless everybody in this church. Thank you for this church as well. Um, be with us today, let the word fill us, and as we leave, let us be changed than where we came in, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Aaliyah, and thank you, Terry. That was beautiful. If you wouldn't mind standing, if you can, we are working our way through the Bible verse by verse. I'm going to read to you from uh, the book of Acts. We are in chapter 12, and uh, we are uh, two-thirds of the way through the book of Acts. Wow. Sorry. Who put this together? Oh, I did. <laughs> Acts chapter 12, verse 18. Peter has just been released from prison by an angel. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. 
But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by King Herod's country. So on a Sunday, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their, their ministry, their service. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have recorded this historic event for us, that we might learn from it, that we might grow that we might understand better your heart, your strategy for reaching the world. Speak to us, Lord, we ask by your Spirit. Change us so that when we leave this place, we're different than the way we came in. We ask that in Jesus' name and all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. You may be seated, please. I love the kids' story uh, about the prideful woodpecker that was flying around eating lunch off all the trees that had worms in them, and he stopped on a really big pine tree that was huge, and the eating was really good, so he kind of didn't see what was going on. The sky darkened, the thunder rolled, then the rain started coming down, and then a lightning bolt hit the tree that he was pecking on and exploded it into a thousand toothpicks, but he was okay. And so he rattled a little, and he starts flying around, and he's looking at all his bird friends that are watching him. He said, wow, look what I did. <laughs> this story reminds us how vulnerable we all are to pride, taking credit for something that we didn't do. We, you heard the story. That's built into this story. Uh, maybe you're just joining us, so let me bring you up to speed, quick version of what the book of Acts is. This is the flight at 3,000 feet over the book of Acts, kind of quickly. But uh, it's the history of the church in the first century, how Christianity got started. The very first church was in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus had told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came on them. And that's in Acts 1.8. And he said, And then you will go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, that's actually an index to the book of Acts. The first seven verses are about the gospel reaching Jerusalem and the area right around it, Judea, then to Samaria, a little further north, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, starting in chapter 13. Well, we're just finishing chapter 12, So we're right at the edge of the two-thirds. We made our way through two-thirds of the book, and we're about ready to enter next week. We'll go into chapter 13. So 
It's in this particular um, chapter that we have uh, all that has happened up to this point, Jesus said would happen. Holy Spirit came. The church has grown. It's exploded. And uh, the disciples have gone out. Well, in the middle of that, there's a new king. And his name is Herod. Now, this is not the Herod the Great that built all the, the temple in Jerusalem and Masada and, and those various works Caesarea we'll talk about in a little bit. Herod the Great was only great because he called himself that, but because he was a great builder. It's a little confusing in the New Testament because there are actually five different Herods alluded to. And this Herod we're looking at, he's actually Herod Agrippa, and he's the grandson of Herod the Great. He was raised in Rome. He was born in 10 B.C., raised in Rome because his grandfather was well known for killing all his offspring. <laughs> and so this Herod's mother sent him to Rome to grow up where he went, got addicted to gambling, was arrested, uh, finally let out, uh, and he's come back. And a friend he made while he was there, a gambling friend, um, made him the king over Judea. So he's decided he's got to do some things to get the Jewish population. He was part Jew, part Gentile, and he was trying to get everyone gathered around him. And he knew there was a cult started called Christianity. And he had heard that uh, Saul had been helpful in persecuting them, and he wanted to do the same thing. So he arrested James, the apostle, the brother of John, and he arrested Peter. James he killed with a sword. In fact, uh, early church historian Eusebius said he was cut in half from top to bottom. That's a picture you probably didn't need, but uh, more information than you wanted. Um, sorry, just came out. And, um, but Peter he had put in prison. And in the early part of this chapter, uh, God decided to spring Peter and uh, sent an angel. Angel comes into the prison. Peter is shackled between two guards with, it said, four quatrons. There, there are four groups of four guards all around him. Two of them he was chained to. Well, the angel just goes right through the gate, of course, and, uh, and all of a sudden the chains just fell off Peter's hands. The guards still have chains on them. And Peter walks out with the angel. Don't know if the guards were blinded or they were just so blown away by an angel. But he walks out and uh, heads on down the road. Next morning is where we break into the story. And uh, this section breaks up into three parts, 18 and 19, dying guards, then dying pride, or you could say the dying king, 20 through 23, and then, but the word of God grew. And that's kind of an overall statement about this part of chapter 12. The Bible is built like that. There was great persecution, but God. And the Philistines came against the Jews, but God. And David, the shepherd boy, faced Goliath, but God. 
That's an important set of words for you because we get used to the things we can smell and taste and see and touch and weigh, five senses, but they're not reliable when it comes to spiritual things. When you get to a hard spot in the road of life, when you come to a difficulty, do you rely on your own experience, conversations with friends, or do you go to the source of all life? The Bible, God's Word, that's what this section is about. So we'll see that's exactly what happens here. So Herod likes the reaction that he got when he killed James. The Jews were for it because they were hating him, hating the Christians. And uh, then this miracle takes place. And verse 18, here we go into the story. Then, as soon as it was day, as soon as it was morning, the next day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. They were in serious trouble. They were being, going to be held responsible for the prisoner getting away. Now, they still had chains on them. And Herod is furious, looking for some kind of an explanation. Herod does not believe in God. He doesn't believe in the supernatural. He's one of the, those guys that only trusts his five senses. He's an atheist, but he pretends to be religious. Verse 19. But when Herod had searched for Peter and not found him, evidently throughout his prison, he examined the guards and then commanded them to be put to death. You see, the law of Rome was called the Justinian Law. And that law said that any guard would get what, if a prisoner got away, would get whatever penalty, whatever sentence was going to happen to that prisoner. And so it was a death penalty on Peter, so 16 guards put to death. Peter is uh, working against what Herod is doing. Now, it says he examined the guards. They no doubt told him, well, we don't know what happened. We still have the chains on us. The guy's gone. But Herod was a practical guy. He doesn't believe in miracles. Because if you allow for miracles, if you would venture to believe that God can intervene in time and space, that God could speak to you here this morning, and help you make a decision about some choice you have in front of you. If you leave room for that, then you leave room for a God who is personal, a God who is concerned about your life and mine, and all of a sudden there's this responsibility that talks about humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Herod would have had to submit to God, and he's not willing to submit to any man. He thinks he's superior from every person on the planet. He would have to deal with forgiveness, asking people for forgiveness and asking God for forgiveness. That would make Herible, Herod excuse me, terribly responsible for his own life. Too much responsibility, too embarrassing, to show that you were weak and you needed God in your life. He's a crutch, you know. 
Ever heard that? <laughs> and I always say, actually, he's a gurney. <laughs> and I'm on it, and he's pushing me around. So Herod is taken away up. And then he's upset. He rode away down to his summer palace. So Herod goes to the beach is what this ends up being. You'll see in just a minute. The seat of the Roman government in the first century in Israel was at a beautiful harbor called Caesarea. It had horse racing, chariot racing. Uh, it's right on the ocean, beautiful surf. They built a harbor there, the Romans did. And it's spectacularly beautiful. Oh, there's a picture. The uh, little two semicircles there, that's the chariot race track. Horses and chariots, they race there. Of course, uh, you can see the harbor up above. There's a castle at the front of it. It's a beautiful place. And uh, down below, uh, there's a amphitheater and Herod's palace. Here's a shot. I was standing in Herod's palace looking at this amphitheater that we, when we read, you heard that Herod goes and does an oration. This is where he does it, in that amphitheater. And I'm taking a picture from his palace, so it's only a couple of hundred yards, maybe, maximum. This is what the Romans did to build a harbor there. Uh, just a little side note, but the Romans first discovered that they could make cement go off, harden underwater here. They took concrete and they used burnt limestone from Mount Vesuvius, you know that name, and they put the two together and found out that the concrete would actually harden underwater if they used burnt limestone. So this is how they built it. This is the flooring in Herod's palace, and I took the picture so that you would see a, an opulent palace that this man lived in. The uh, whole floor was set up that way. Uh, it's right on the surf. They have uncovered a huge swimming pool that's set cleverly right at sea level so the, when the tide rises, it goes in and it flushes the pool out and then the tide goes back and he has fresh water every day. Right next to that is a jacuzzi that's fed by a hot springs. So when Herod went to the beach, <laughs> he wasn't roughing it. He's living in style. He is upset at what happened. Peter got away, so he goes to the beach, and he's hanging out there at the beach. By the way, if you haven't been to Israel, you need to go in your lifetime. It will change the Bible. You'll never read it the same. Right now, I see some of you have been to Israel with us, and, and you're thinking of when you stood in this very spot because we always stand right there and read this verse, the ones we're looking at this morning. This was where Herod was preaching. So he went down from Judea, up around about 50, 52 miles down to Caesarea, and he's going to spend the summer at the beach. Uh, so it's hard if you're Herod. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's too hot in August to be up in Jerusalem, so you go to the beach, just like some do, you know, here. Verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Kind of a change here a moment. 
But Tyre and Sidon were two major harbor cities just north of Israel in what we call Lebanon today. Uh, the cities are still there. Uh, uh, it's a beautiful spot. And, uh, but those people were angry with Herod because he controlled the food supply in this area of the world. If you were with us earlier in the book of Acts, there was a prophet that came to the uh, people at Antioch and said, the church is going to starve. In fact, the whole world is facing global warming. Really, this isn't a joke. And it's not going to rain very much for several years. And sure enough, a famine came, and these people from Tyre and Sidon, because the, the coastal mountains come right up off of Tyre and Sidon, and there's really no farmland, even to this day, in Lebanon. So they got their food supply. They had all these port goods that came in. Uh, the Phoenicians were great traders. They went all over the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to Spain, up into England and down the coast of Africa. And they would bring all these things back, and they would trade it for food in the Galilee. Because those of you that have been to the Sea of Galilee, you know it's about 700 feet below sea level. It's very warm, like salt and sea, not far from us, only there's a lot of fresh water there. And so, because it's warm all year round, it's tropical fruit paradise there. They have pineapples and, and avocados and citrus fruit and bananas. I'm making you hungry, aren't I? Uh, so, they, the people in Lebanon, in Tyre and Sidon, the Phoenicians, they needed to trade. We don't know what the argument was about, probably prices, because Herod was a greedy man, but they're having this discussion. He's angry with them. Verse 20 says, but they came to him with one accord. They all decided to go see him. Having made Blastus, love the guy's name, Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, which is code for they greased his palm, which is code for they bribed him. We don't allow that in America for money. We do it with political favors, but don't get me started. Okay, so um, there's this argument going on, and Israel was their supply of wheat and olive oil, etc. So there's a brain, some said that there's a grain embargo against them. Whatever it is, they're upset, but they pay money to have this audience, if you will, with the king. Verse 21, so on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, and we get this little insight into the first century kings, sat on his throne, reportedly made of ivory. He was an environmentalist, and he gave an oration to them. So um, we have this interesting part here in the book of Acts we have a parallel account in secular history. The Roman historian Josephus writes about this very same event. I'm going to read it to you, and then you can compare the two stories. And my reason for comparing them is I want you to see how accurate the Bible is. So this is what Josephus wrote, talking about August in A.D. 44. After the completion of the third year of his reign over the whole of Judea, Herod Agrippa came to the city of Caesarea 
where he celebrated spectacles in honor of Caesar. They, they treated Caesar like a god. And on the second day of the spectacles, clad in a garment worn, com, woven, excuse me, woven completely of silver so that its texture was indeed wondrous, his words, he entered the theater at daybreak. There, the silver, illuminated, illuminated excuse me, by the touch of the first rays of the sun, was wondrously radiant. He's a little poetic. Wondrously radiant, and by its glitter, inspired fear and awe in those who gazed intently upon it. They were impressed. Immediately, his flatterers, those that had come there to buy him off, raised their voices from every direction, addressing him as a god. May you favor us with your grace. Your God, give us your grace. Then they added, we agree that you are more than a mortal. The king did not rebuke them, nor did he reject their flattery as profane. At once he felt a stab of pain in his heart. He was also gripped in his stomach by an ache that he felt everywhere at once, and then it was intense from the very start. He was overcome by more intense pain. They hastened, therefore, to convey him to, back to the palace, a couple of hundred yards away, and the word flashed about to everyone that he was on the very verge of death. Exhausted after five straight days of pain in his abdomen, he departed this life in the 54th year of his life. Wow, pure silver threaded toga, shimmering in the sunlight, probably something Elton John would love to own. So here we have this non-biblical picture of what was going on that day, but it aligns pretty much perfectly with what Dr. Luke wrote here in this book of Acts. The people kept shouting, verse 22, the voice of a god and not a man. Uh-oh. If you ever hear anything like this, just duck, because <laughs> good stuff is not going to happen. Now, I had a young graduate student in biology from a local university come to me. He was very bothered by these verses, and he said, you can't have that many worms that would kill you. And I said, oh, oh yeah, you can. And so I got him these pictures, and I'm sharing them with you, okay? That is the most common roundworm that inhabits the intestines of people who eat unappropriately cooked or uncooked meat, okay? And he said, well, you couldn't get all of them at once in your intestines, so I brought him a picture from the, the surgery suite. There's a human intestine, and the guy is underneath it that it happened to, and those are not french fries. Yummy. Okay, turn it off, guys. I don't want anybody to get sick. We're getting close to lunch, you know. You want to meet for lunch? We can have French fries together. So, yes, this is uh, Ascartius. It's the most common inhabitation of human beings who eat meat that's uncooked. Now, th this is just free information, okay? It's not part of the Bible study. Don't eat sushi. 
<laughs> Got it? <laughs> and don't eat raw pork or raw beef or anything raw because those little worms are the most common worm in the world. And, and I, some of you are so upset with me right now, but I love sushi. Eat it. This is just, I'm giving you information, free information, you know? I ran a hospital laboratory for enough years to know a lot of people have an infestation that they don't even know about. Why do I have to take so much antacids? Well, you know, how's that sushi doing for you? Okay, so uh, he was eaten by worms and died because he did not give glory to God. Glory, that word, uh, means weight. Heaviness, kabod is the Hebrew word for it, that he didn't give God the weight, the substance of who he was and tried to take it for himself. So pride is a subject that the Bible deals with Old and New Testament all over the place. Um, the New Testament uses the word for pride, hooper ethanos, which, which means to shine above, which is what Herod was exactly trying to do, to be the person who gathered the most amount of attention in the place. Uh, the other, the second most common Greek word used in Scripture, as in 1 Timothy 6, 4, tupano means to raise up smoke. Now, I like that because I have several friends before I was a Christian, who blow a lot of smoke. And that's really the picture here, that they try and obscure truth by trying to make themselves better than who they are, or they feel inadequate. Uh, so pride leads to devastation and ruin. God says, Proverbs 16, 18, you probably know this one, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. The New Testament warns that in the last days of which we're in, because Peter said it was the last days 2,000 years ago, so it's a long set of last days, but we're still in them. He said we're in the last days. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. You see, we live in a culture that says pride is a good thing. You need to have a little swagger, you know, particularly if you're an athlete. you got to do all kinds of ridiculous things in the end zone if you catch a pass. God says men will become lovers of themselves and lovers of money and boasters and proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Oh, I'm glad we don't have any of that going on. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, oh, they say that they're religious, they say they're spiritual, but denying its power. But God can't do anything. He, he doesn't do miracles. And from such people, turn away. God has pretty str strong feelings against pride. Proverbs 16, 6, everyone who is proud of heart is an abomination to the Lord. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. The greatest reason God hates pride is because it keeps his children from coming to know him. They, they refuse to admit they have a need for God. 
God wants us to come to him. God knows we need help. It just is against our human nature to humble ourselves and admit that we need help from God. There's a kind of poetic justice here in the death of Herod, but God doesn't usually do this. This is a very unusual thing that was recorded and happened at a time when the church was just coming into being. And God wanted to make a statement to the people of that time. Herod was representing the other team. Now, the next verse is the pivotal verse for this whole area, and the one I really want you to remember, verse 24. But the word of God grew, increased, and multiplied, prevailed, the old King James says, You see, the word of God is even now, even in this struggling world, growing. Oh, it may not seem like it, particularly here in California, but I've traveled all over the world, and I've preached the gospel in a lot of places. And you really want to see the growth in churches and the word of God, go to South America, go to China, go to Vietnam. Go to Muslim countries where it's against it. Go to Iran. It's amazing. It's blowing up in Iran. People risking their lives to have a copy of the Bible so they can read it. The Word of God is growing. Even though it may not be growing very much in Redlands, it's growing all over the world. And God said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. He's on the move. The Holy Spirit is on the move. Be encouraged, church. Don't be discouraged. It may not be the most important thing, but God is moving. So, well, let's keep going. The, the chapter opens with verse 1. The king stretched out his hand. He was confident he could do anything, but it ends with the word of God is growing. The chapter opens with Herod on a rampage. He's arresting, he's putting to death church leaders, feeling pretty sassy. The chapter ends with Herod himself struck down. The chapter begins with James martyred and Peter in prison and Herod's influence increasing in the world. The chapter ends with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God growing. Someone said the Bible has survived both the ignorance of its friends and the hatred of its enemies. People who say they love it are missing so much more that God would have you get. Now, I'm I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, you're listening to me read the word to you, and a miracle is happening in every one of you, not because of who I am, but because of what the word of God is. The promise of God to you is faith comes by hearing hearing the word of God. All you have to do is sit and listen to somebody reading it or explain it or trying to teach it as I am. And faith is happening to you. You are becoming more trusting in the Bible and in the God who wrote it. It's a miracle. And if you're here as an atheist right now and you're upset that I just said that, I understand completely. I was an atheist until I was 26. And the only reason I ended up in church then was because I loved this woman I was married to, and she forced me to go to church. 
Either that or he's going to sleep in the garage with a dog for the next 60 years, you know? I, I feel your pain if you're here going, I don't want to hear any of this, Pastor. God's got you where he wants you. Verse 25. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they have fulfilled their ministry, their service. And, and you'll remember if you were with us that because of this famine that was coming, the church at Antioch, which would become the largest church center for 400 years, would send money to the saints, the believers, there in Jerusalem. Well, Barnabas and Saul, he's still called Saul, he's going to be Paul the Apostle and write one-third of the New Testament, and Barnabas, who is the son of an encourager, he's encouraging. So they go to Jerusalem, deposit the money, and then go back home. But they took with them John, whose surname is Mark. John Mark is a very interesting young man. He is the son of the woman that owned the house where the Last Supper was, where Pentecost happened, and where the church was gathered praying for Peter when he came to the front gate and knocked on it. John Mark is young. He's the youngest generation in this time. And so I want to direct those of you that have been born after 1980. Uh, the Generation X, and then there's, there's Y, and we're running out of letters. Uh, you're born in 2020. Um, we don't know what to call you yet. So, but I, those born between 1980 and now, basically, you are the next generation. God wants me to empower you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to take the gospel to your generation. You see, you have access and God wants to do in you what he did in John Mark. John Mark turns out to be at first a failure. In fact, he goes with Paul and Barnabas on this first missionary journey, and he flakes out. He whines, and they send him home. But he was young. And later he would go back and partner with Peter, and he would spend the rest of his life with Peter recording everything that Peter told him about what happened when he was with Jesus for three and a half years on planet Earth. And he wrote it in a book called The Gospel of Mark. So I encourage you, young Marks here, that you would consider the call on your life. God has left you a compass, a sextant. You know, those were essential instruments for sailors in the first century. They became essential instruments for pilots in our day and astronauts. Why? Because they were reliable. You could look at the compass in L.A. or Hong Kong or Sydney, Australia or Alaska and you'd get the same answer. It was truth. Listen, objective truth. You're being fed a line, young people especially, those of you that have gone, to, gone through the education system in the last 20, 30 years in America. You were told that truth is subjective. You have your truth, and he has his truth. Truth is objective. It is not on an individual. It's as reliable as a compass or any other instrument that I worked 
with for 12, 13 years in a hospital setting. Laboratory instruments are reliable. You calibrate them all the time, which means you have to keep going back to the book. You have to keep going back to the, your compass. Your compass is the Word of God. And there's a world out there that is struggling because they're hearing the same garbage that you've been taught, that you can't rely on the Bible, you can't rely on God, that your truth is, can be completely different than somebody else's truth. Someday, every one of us will stand before the creator of the universe, and he will say, I am the truth the way, and the life. Amen. I am absolute truth. I am your pathway. The Word of God is a light to our path, Psalm 119 says. The way, the truth, and the life that if you would surrender your life to, a life that counts, a life that matters for eternity. Oh, you may not be famous, but you'll be famous in heaven and with God. You may not be the greatest ball player. Pick a sport. Pick a, a science. Pick a endeavor, whatever it is. You may not be the richest person. You may not be famous. But God gave you the gifts you have. He gave them to you in the womb for the pathway that he designed for you. If you put yourself in it... I'll guarantee you this, your life will have significance. You may not be famous, but it will have significance. You will leave a mark on human history because the creator of the universe is working through you. And the word of God, but God, the word of God grew and it prevailed. It overcame, literally it says in the King James, persevered. Because God's Word has a way of working it into your life right now. You see, if you're here in an atheist this morning, I'm sorry, you're not getting away from this message. And you can't say, you know, God, I never heard the gospel. You say, what about that Sunday when you were down in that little funky church in Redlands, the packing house, and the guy's raving on about the Word of God growing? You're trapped like a rat now. I was too. I understand completely. Don't be angry at your wife. She made you come. I get it. But it's time to let him have his way in your life, and your life will have a significance absolutely impossible without surrendering to him. Okay, we'll try and sum it all up. So, the Word of God grew and multiplied. It prevailed. It's essential it's the instrument for the direction of your life. Obviously, it's God, but he speaks through his word. We have a, a, a couple from our church who I met years ago when I was still working in a hospital, and um, they work in North Africa. They uh, are uh, white people, but they work a lot with uh, North African and they work with the people called the Berbers. You might know the name from carpets, Berber carpets, if you're an interior designer or something. But the Berbers are the indigenous tribes that inhabit Tunisia, all the way over to Morocco. And uh, they've had the gospel since the first century because there were Tunisians there at Pentecost. They're listed in the book of Acts. They have a 
some, they've remained pretty much unchanged in 2,000 years. But the Berbers call their pastors when they are elderly holy men, okay? Don't let that blow you away because they're no more holy than I am holy or than you are holy. We ain't. We're not holy. We're just receive grace from God, mercy and grace. But these holy men are very important there in North Africa. And one of them, so their elders say, was walking through the desert late one night because that's the only time you walk in the desert in Tunisia. It's blistering hot during the day. He's walking alone through the desert and he finds himself in a stream bed, dry stream bed. There's no moon. It's only starlight. And he can barely see. And he's, as he's walking along, he, he hears a voice behind him. He says, stop. And he thought, oh, great, now I get robbed, too. The voice said, reach down and take all the stones you can and put them in your pocket with one hand. And tomorrow, you will be both sad and glad. He went, that's weird. But he did it, put him in his pocket. No other instructions. And so he finally just started walking, and he does a couple of zigzags because he still thinks there's somebody trying to steal something from him. But he walks until it's sunrise. And early in the morning, he's walking along, and he hears this rattle in his pocket, and he remembers he picked up a bunch of stones, pebbles. And so he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a bunch of stones, and they're uncut diamonds. And he remembered what the voice said. Tomorrow you will be glad that you took what you did and sad that you didn't take more. (laughs) The word of God is like a handful of uncut diamonds. Will you be sad or glad or both? Just stand please and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and you have left for us this reliable compass for our lives. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Most of us in this room know that, Lord, and we thank you for that. We take it with us now. But, Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning that's not walking with you and ask that you'd speak to them right now and give them grace to surrender to you. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone here this morning, maybe you're that atheist I was talking about, or maybe you're just struggling with letting God have control of your life, and you've never asked him to forgive your sins. This moment is for you. We wouldn't do anything to embarrass you, but if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you're ready to surrender your life to God, would you let me know you're ready by looking up at me and raising your hand? I won't do anything to embarrass you. God bless you. I'll just acknowledge it very back. God bless you, young man. Couple right here. Yes, God bless you. On the aisle. Yes, God bless you. In the back, two of you and you. Yes, God bless you. Uh, Way over there. God bless you. Here in front of me and you. God bless you. If I miss your hand, don't worry. God didn't. Those of you that raised your hands, we'd ask you to join us in a prayer out loud. We're going to do it with you to make it easy. But we're going to ask God to forgive our sins, which we all need to do. 
but he's going to hear and he's going to change you right where you are. So everybody, please say out loud, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Those of you who prayed that, we would encourage you to go over these double doors to my right. Some of our elders are there. We'd love to give you a Bible, pray for you. If you're sick and you need prayer, go there. Please. Now, we're going to sing one last song. If you need to leave, please feel free. If you'd like to stay and worship with us, enjoy. I'm Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand
sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand So God commanded Moses to put this blessing on God's people, so I give it to you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he make his face to shine upon you. And may he put his countenance on your life that he so fills you with his Holy Spirit that people look in your eyes and they say, what is the meaning of that light? And you can say, Jesus. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Give someone a hug before you go home.